In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Judges chapter 13. We're just a little over halfway through the book, but today's chapter introduces us to the very last judge mentioned in Judges. His story begins with a childless couple from the tribe of Dan who received a visit from the angel of the Lord. He announced that they would have a son who would be set apart for God's service from the womb. Astonished, fearful, they obeyed God and prepared for the arrival of Samson. Good morning and blessed Eastertide. Today is Friday, August 14th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. My appreciation goes out to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, whose generous contributions support Thy Strong Word. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation is a ministry which provides Lutheran resources in various languages around the world. Visit them online to learn more about their work and how you might be able to get involved at lhfmissions.org. Well, this morning, I'm pleased to welcome as my guest to help us discern and divide Judges 13, the Reverend Nabil Noor, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota, and fourth vice president of the LCMS. Pastor Noor, welcome back to the show. Glorious uh, Friday morning to you, and I will begin by saying Christ is risen. He is risen, risen indeed. indeed. Oh, it's such a such a pleasure to have you back on the program, brother. You know, I think we were supposed to have you on a while back, and we got our our, our phone lines tied, let's just say, and we didn't get you on. But I'm happy to have you here for for Judges 13. It's it's a great chapter to be on the show with. It is an amazing chapter, to be exact, uh, because you see how grace oozes out of every word. And it spills over on the pages of Scripture and from there into our ears and into our hearts. It really is an amazing chapter of God's goodness, God's kindness, and God's grace for us sinners. It certainly is. Well, before we get into it and we hear about the birth of Samson, I'd like to invite you to start our time together off with prayer. Let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O gracious Savior, a few days ago we were at the tomb with the women, and we heard the announcement of the angel saying, Do not fear. You are seeking Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. We have come, O God, to that vacated tomb, in Jerusalem, we have heard the announcement and we proclaim the glorious victory. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. In the name of the victorious Christ, we pray that you would anoint my lips, that I may speak your words of truth, bring comfort and hope to those who are burdened, as well as, O oh Lord, our ears to hear your words and to find comfort and joy in what you have written to us so many centuries ago, yet still affects us today. In the name of the risen Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen, brother. Well, yesterday on our program, we well we ended with the three judges, which a lot not a lot is told to us about them: uh, Ibzon, Elon, and Abdon. 
Uh, but then this chapter begins very simply and in that same refrain that we heard, heard time and again already from Judges, uh, 13 verse 1 says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh. So Yahweh gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. That sets the stage for the introduction of Samson. As I mentioned at the top of the show, though, this is the last judge in Judges that is really treated, and he goes on for several chapters before we get some ancillary uh, narratives before the whole book ends. Um, why is it, do you, do you think, that we, we have so much focus on Samson? Is it just because he did a lot of amazing things or what? Well, let me say one thing first before we begin. And I'll answer your question, but let me just clarify something that's really um, an unfortunate in the sense that the translation that we have of Samson comes either from the Greek or the Latin. It's not from the Hebrew. So the Hebrew name is Shim Shon, literally uh, from the sun, okay? And uh, Shemesh is sun in the Hebrew. And so it is very important for us to understand that Samson is the sunny boy, so to speak, okay? And we want to focus on that because the son of righteousness is the one who ultimately will come to save us. If you look at this account of Samson, what is his mission? Twofolds. Uh, we call it in the English uh, Nazarite, which is from the Hebrew Natsir, literally means to be separate set apart. And the second aspect of it is he is to save Israel. And this is the focus. So behind this young man, the sunny boy, okay, we have a different man who is truly the sunny boy, that is Christ, who literally saves all of Israel including the world, the cosmos. And so why is Samson so important? Because he is a type of Christ. And it really is emphatic for us to see the connection between both Samson as well as John the baptizer. Both genders were identified in their mother's wombs. Both were a car that is barren, um, Manoah's wife, who is unknown to us, we don't know her name, but Elizabeth was in her old age, and she was a car, barren, and yet God sent an angel, Malach Yahweh, and we'll talk about that when we start looking into the text. Both of them, from the womb, were set apart for the purpose of proclaiming the salvation of Christ. Samson does that as the Nazir or the Nazarite, as well as John the Baptizer, he rolled out the red carpet for the coming one. So we see the similarity between them, and both of them uh, give their lives for the mission that God has entrusted to them. So it's very important for us to put this all in context. One of the things that I often tell my saints at Trinity what I serve is this. There are three big C's. The first C is context. 
Contact is king. The second C is culture. Culture is queen. And the third C, Christ, and Christ is the center. So we need to look at all of the context, the culture, and most importantly, about Christ. And when we look at them through that lens, we see the beauty of the gospel and how it is applied to us today, brother. Well, I, I'm glad that you brought that up because you, you started off by saying that Samson really is talking about the little son or something like that. I like how you put sunny boy. Uh, let's use those first two C's, context and culture. Uh, in this culture, especially among the Canaanites, there was sun worship, lots of sun worship. In fact, Beth Shemesh, uh, which means house of the sun, was a worship place of Correct. the sun, which was close to Zorah where Samson's family lived. And so some scholars have intimated that when they name him a little son, it could have been influenced by the local son worship, the culture that had existed. Uh, it could have been referring to the fact that what he'll be ushering in, and of course the one true God, Yahweh, whom he serves, is the, is the alternative to the son worship, right? It's a return. And certainly the Israelites would identify Yahweh with the sun's power and that sort of thing. So, you know, we think of S-O-N, of course, that's that third C you brought up, Christ. But in terms of sun, um, what uh, what validity do you think there might be to this idea that his naming, which if I'm not mistaken, the angel doesn't tell them what to name him, his naming he, might have something yeah. to do with the local sun worship? Well, I'm going to go a different angle, only because I, I just read the Hebrew a couple of times this morning before we came online here. I believe the reason they chose the name Shimshon is remember towards the end when the angel comes after Manoah prays to God, Malach Yahweh literally is the pre-incarnate Christ, because they fall down and they said they have seen God and we, they're going to die. So Malach Yahweh in the Hebrew, that's the pre-incarnate Christ. Okay? Why did they use Shimshon? It is very possible, like what you said, but I think it is because they see the glory of God, the brightness of the Lord that they caused them to get down on their knees for fear that they're going to be smitten and burned out. It's almost like Isaiah, woe to me. I'm a sinful man, yet I have seen the glory of God. They have seen the glory. And uh, if you look at all of the accounts of Scripture, no matter where, whether you look at it in the uh, what I call the First Testament or the New Testament, whenever the angels are there, people are just terrified. How much more Malach Yahweh, the pre-incarnate Christ, appears, and he, he shows up all over. And he talks to them, and uh, because, again, you notice towards the end, they call him, we have seen God. It's like uh, Genesis 18, as well as Genesis 22, we have the same term, Malach Yahweh, and there's others, but those are sufficient to announce that when we talk about Malach Yahweh, generally, I think it's 70 times it's mentioned in the Hebrew text, that it talks about the pre-incarnate Christ. He is the God who shows up to reveal the Son, S-O-N. He is the only one to be worshipped, not the S-U-N. 
Well, we can't disagree with that. And I'll tell you what, we'll pick that part of the conversation up when we get to verses 23 and 24. So now let's read verses 2 through 7. Here we go. You do it in English, I'll follow in Hebrew. Okay, go ahead. Sounds good. You always got to remind the people that you can speak Hebrew, right? Reminds them why you pay them, <laughs> why they pay you, I mean. Sorry, here we go. Well, the reason, the reason is there are so many hidden nuances with the language that does not really come out in the English. And so it's just a helpful just a helpful tool that God has gifted me with, and I appreciate it that I could do so. Sure. I, I was just joking. Here we go. There no, was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then, drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God, from the womb to the day of his death. All right, brother, take us through this, right? Beginning with the man of Zorah. Well, the man of Zorah, Manoach, Noach is a comfort. So he is the one who will bring comfort. Okay, His wife is barren. Uh, we don't know why, but in this case, we do know it is from God. And yet the Lord sends the angel of the Lord, in parenthesis, Malach Yahweh, and he comes and tells the woman, you have been barren, however, something's going to change. I have good news for you, and the good news is this. You're going to conceive and bear a son. Notice that gender is identified, okay? So we know that from the womb, uh, contrary to what the world teaches, there are only two genders, male and female, whatever other capacity they want to give, which is false. And then he gave this command. It's a mitzvah, which is a command. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean. In other words, she is to be separating herself from anything that the others are doing and uh, not to do this. Like uh, my youngest uh, daughter-in-law right now is with child. And as soon as she discovered that she was with child, she has begun to abstain herself from wine. Now, that's wonderful, but here it is a command from the Lord, no wine, no uh, strong drink, and the third item is nothing unclean that should go into her system. Why? For the child shall be a Nazarite. This is, the Hebrew word is a Nazir, which is to be separate. Okay, just to be, uh, I mean, some people like in uh, Numbers, I believe it is number six, where they, the people were uh, not sear their hair. Okay, so they did not cut their hair. So no razor comes. Now, um, uh, some of the people with this not sear, it was temporary, but for Samson, it was for a lifetime until his death. 
Um, and he will be a Nazarite to God from the womb. I mean, these items that he cannot, she cannot drink, we are not told her name, or cannot eat, are specifically so this young man who is going to grow in the womb will be separate. And for the purpose, all of this is for the purpose of saving of Israel. Okay? This is going back to Genesis chapter 3. The same announcement um, the Lord gave to Eve, you will have someone who's going to redeem you. And of course, all the sons of Eve are Israel, and, um, and he will save you. In here, we talk about the Philistines. In Genesis, we talk about Satan, the serpent. And so, and then the woman ran over to her husband, and she told him, and notice how she is precise in her, in her wording, how the Holy Spirit printed this for us. A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. And what did we have afterward? Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, so then drink no wine or strong drink. Again, for the emphasis to be separate. He is a Nazarite to God from the womb to the tomb. So he is to be separate. He is to stand out among all of the people. And ultimately, this young man, Shimshon or Samson in uh, English, becomes the one who will literally save Israel mightily. And you will talk about that tomorrow and the day after. You've got uh, three more chapters dealing with Samson here. And so it talks about the things that Samson did, mighty things. And of course, it's not in this chapter, but the chapters after uh, tearing the jaw of a lion, uh, killing over a thousand people with the jaw of a donkey, and ultimately killing more people when he died than when he was alive. So what we see here is a micro picture of the mighty deeds of God and how he is going to carry this through to bring about salvation. This sunny boy is going to shine like the sun in his deeds and in his words. Unfortunately, he does not fulfill it completely. He becomes a skirt chaser. And we will talk about that later, but I won't be privileged to say that. But he will be a skirt uh, chaser, specifically Delilah and others. But he is to represent Christ, to be separate and to communicate the salvation of the Lord to the people, and he saves them. Tell us a little bit more about uh, verse thir- verse 5 says, you know, the boy will be a Nazarite. Um, I know in Numbers 6 we get information about the Nazarite vow. Tell us a little bit more about what it means to be a Nazarite and, and why God would have set him apart in this way. Um, a Nazarite is one who is to be set apart separately, okay? Uh, I'll give you an example. My uh, older brother, Saeed, and his wife, 
were unable to conceive for 12 years. Very long time. And finally, by God's grace, they conceived. And when she bore a son, she dressed him well, like I grew up as a Catholic back in the old country of Israel. And so my sister-in-law and my brother uh, dressed their son uh, with a robe like a priest and never cut his hair for two years. That told the family and people around as they saw this little boy from toddler on wearing a priest robe. This child is a gift from God. So when God sets Nazir or a Nazarite, that's God's gift. And through this gift, great things are going to happen. Now, of course, uh, we know it did not happen to the full extent, but we do know that Samson does mighty things. So, uh, and, and of course, we have the identification in five. What does it mean to be a Nazarite? Well, he says, the, the angel said to her, no razor shall come upon his head. Okay, so we are told definitely don't cut the hair. Now, we do know that the strength came from the hair. However, beyond the hair is the hair maker who counts all of our hair and knows every single one of them before they fall. So the strength really is not so much in the hair, but it was the identification that sets him apart to look at him as one who has been set for the mission that God has given to him to communicate his grace, and ultimately, and ultimately is to bring the salvation. So to be set apart is to identify this man for a specific mission. Now, you have been ordained, and so have I. If you can go back to your ordination, we were all uh, dressed in our uh, uh, orbs, and we had red stoles. But one thing that our church body has done and continues to do, when the pastor is ordained, all the men around him, all the colleagues around him, put their uh, hands over his head. Why is that? That is to say, this is the man God has called to this place for the service of the word and the sacrament. This is the man from all of the other men's over there. He is the one that you pay attention to. He is the one who's bringing God's goods to you. And so when we look at a Nazarite or Nazir in the Hebrew, we are saying, this is the man you ought to look to. And of course, he is a judge, Mishpat. He is supposed to judge with equity and justice for the good of all people. And he does that in the work of saving them. We find um, at least one other lifelong Nazarite, um, one who was set apart. That's in Samuel. We're going to be looking at Samuel after we finish Judges, so uh, stay tuned for that in a few weeks. But here we are. We have him. He's a child. shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Uh, one last thing I want to bring out about this Nazarite, as you have pointed out, you know, the setting apart included some things that were laid down in Numbers 6, uh, abstaining from anything related to alcohol, you know, a strong drink. It's specifically, as an example here also, uh, refrain from cutting one's hair, avoiding dead people, uh, that sort of thing. 
Uh, but what I found striking is that because it's from the womb, it, there really is showing a, um, I, I guess a, it's revealing an understanding of how a, a baby is nourished from his mother's bloodstream uh, right here in Judges. And I only bring that up not because I'm surprised that the Holy Spirit who inspired this text knows these things, but people seem to think that the Bible has been written by a bunch of sheep herders who are uneducated. And here we have an example of knowledge that if he's going to abstain from wine, it has to begin with mom. Thank you for saying that. But let me also add to what you have said so wonderfully, dear brother, is this. Many people are saying a baby in the womb is not a baby until he's born. Baloney. We know that uh, gift from God, as you said earlier, the Holy Spirit has put these into words so that from the womb, this baby is being nurtured and nourished in whatever his mama takes in. My daughter-in-law, going back, she's pregnant. She's abstaining from the wine because she does not want to bring any harm to that baby for a reason. And so the joy is raising this child to be healthy and strong without any damage. The instruction and the commands God gave to Manoah's wife is to heed it. Now, interestingly enough, uh, the Hebrew word in verse 4, therefore be careful, the Hebrew word is shamar, that is to guard, okay? It's like you have a century, somebody is standing guard someplace, okay? Like if you go to England or the White House or wherever, you have some guards there or secret services. But here, she is to guard her body. Okay, so be alert to what it is that's happening to you and be on guard lest you take altishti, don't drink wine or strong drink and don't eat anything that is unwholesome to you. Why? Because that will affect that child and that child is not yours. It's God's. As the angel said to her, he is from the womb and Nazarite to whom? To God. Ultimately, of course, theirs, but he's borrowed. He's giving to them on a loan, just like all of our children are on loan to us, but they are God's children in the first place. As it says, from the womb to the day of his death. Well, we're going to learn what Manoah then prays to Yahweh and asks, but we're going to have to wait until after just a few messages. So don't go anywhere, folks. When we return, Pastor Noor will keep on going through Judges 13. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. 
Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me this morning is the Reverend Nabil Noor, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota, and fourth vice president of the LCMS. Before we get back into the text, though, I just want to thank you for gathering around God's Word with us this morning. You know, I'd love to hear from you, so you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com, or you can connect with me on Facebook. You can ask me anything or just say hello. And if you like Thy Strong Word, why not share it with others who might enjoy it too? The program airs on AM850 in St. Louis, or you can stream it live or on demand at kfuo.org or on the KFUO app or on your favorite podcasting service. Wow, there are so many ways to be able to listen. I appreciate that you've chosen to grow in your faith with me and my guest every weekday. Thanks for being a part of the show. Well, Pastor Noor, before the break, you know, I'd asked you about uh, the Nazarite, and we learned about that. Now I think it's time to get into the text a little more. I'd like to read verses 8 through 13. This is where we have an interaction from the dad, Manoah, as he prays to God. Here we go. Then Manoah prayed to Yahweh and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life, and what is his mission? And the angel of Yahweh said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine, nor strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Well, the interaction continues, but we're going to hold just for a moment right there. So Manoah prays to Yahweh. And um, essentially, he's asking that his will be done and that he be educated on what to do. You know, I imagine Manoah, in this very same way as Joseph, um, really trying to wrestle with his idea that this is going to be a special child. I, I don't know how to raise up uh, any child, much less one that's going to be special to God. I imagine there's a lot of anxiety on his, on his heart. Um, you know, one thing that I really was uh, impressed, and I pray that every father would pray Manoah's prayer for his children. This man is a God-fearing man. He wants to know what and how best to raise this son for the purpose of bringing glory to God. And so he prays. Ironically, he prays that God would send the man, he doesn't say the angel of the Lord, and ultimately um, Manoah's wife does the same. And so there's words of change in the Hebrew from Malach Yahweh to Haish. He, he said, bring this man back and identify, which I said earlier, the pre-incarnate Christ, the man, and so he may teach us and the angel of the Lord tells him again that she should be on guard how she takes care of her body so that no harm comes to it. 
And so in these words, we see a few things. Number one, the prayer of Manoah, the desire of Manoah to raise a child who will grow up in the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Number three, how should they attain to this child's needs and how should they raise him? And then, of course, you have the angel's command to be careful as, um, you know, not to do anything that is harmful for that child and to be on guard. And I kind of liked the conversation. Um, Manoah first says, are you the man that came to this woman? He didn't say my wife, and I don't know why he didn't say that, but that's something different. And then he said, yes, I am the man, Ani in the Hebrew. Um, And so you have that conversation. And he wanted to make sure that this is the same angel of the Lord that appeared. He wanted to be 100%. You said he may have had anxiety, that's a possibility. Uh, coming from the Middle East, I don't know if I would put that term on it. I just think he desires to be the best father with the responsibility entrusted to him. Maybe it is anxiety, but personally, I don't know if that's what it is. I just think he wants to know how best to be a good dad to raise his son knowing Yahweh, to love Yahweh, and to serve Yahweh. And by serving Yahweh, he will ultimately save Israel as the mission to which God has sent to him. Well, I would love for you to expand, though, just a little bit. So why, why? because he's from uh, this area, he wouldn't have anxiety? I guess I didn't understand your point there. Well, I don't, I mean, you put anxiety on that um in your explaining, I don't know if it is anxiety. Remember, Manoah, where are they living? Under the burden of the Philistines who are worshiping idols, right? So, but he is a God-fearing God, because we know in verse 8, then Manoah prayed to the Lord, and we know the rest of the story, teach us, show me. I don't know, again, if that's anxiety, more so than wanting to be the best responsible dad. It's almost like you said, Joseph. He wants to be the best in caring for this child. I don't know if I would, I personally, you know, you used uh, anxiety. I don't know if in that context I would put that label on it because I don't see it as an anxiety. I just think it is a request to grow in the grace of God. And if you're talking about the grace of God, it's, there's nothing to be anxious about, but to learn and to mature in the wisdom of the Lord. And that's why we ask God to give us everything that we need, right? Seek the Lord so that he might be found, right? We seek him. Do I seek him because I'm anxious? Maybe at times, but when I seek him most of the time, is to be the best pastor, the best husband, the best uh, father, the best grandfather, the best friend. All of these things are captured within that prayer. I see what you're saying, and I appreciate that explanation. For those listening, though, I want you to know that if you do feel anxiety or anxiousness, that's certainly not a sin. I wouldn't say that our guest is saying that. Jesus says, do not be anxious because he recognizes there are people out there who struggle with anxiety. And I just want to make that clear.
So I do have a question about the Hebrew. You being a yeah, I, I do you want being to thank a, you for clarifying that. If you have yeah, if you have anxiety, by all means, go to the Lord because He can lift that anxiety from you. That's not my point, as you clarified. Yeah, I, I knew it wasn't. I just want to make sure people knew that. You being a native uh, Hebrew speaker, I do ask this though. So when he says, "Are you the man who spoke to this woman?" Um, in the text anyway, and you mentioned earlier that maybe the text we get is not from the Hebrew, but from uh, so I don't know if where we if we have. The Masoretic text is not, I mean, I don't know how that was passed down. Maybe you can enlighten us. But the angel then says, um, ani, which is I, and the verb is left unstated. Um, is that significant at all? Is this I am here, especially since the verb is, is unstated in the Hebrew? Is that? Absolutely. When you say ani in Hebrew, vayomer ani, uh, he says, I am this is, you have that in John chapter 8, right? Where the uh, Pharisees and the rulers uh, questioned Jesus, and he said before Abraham, ani, right? Ego emi in the Greek, in the Hebrew it is ani. And if you go to Exodus chapter 3, you have the same things. I am ani, yeah, yeah. And so you have the same word, he's saying, I am. And this is why later on, Manoah says, oh, my, oh, my, oh, we are going to be toast. We saw God because they put things together. This is not just an angel. This is God. So, okay, yeah. So that's one of the things that I always get, I guess, hung up on, especially when we look at Jesus's words and he'll say, I am I I will contend that not every single time Jesus says I am, he's trying to evoke the great I am. Uh, not every single time, and people tend to take those like for every single. You can't even construct a sentence with the with the with that in the verb without making it some big statement. But here, you you're certainly contending that this I am is significant because then Manoah Absolutely. responds by saying, "Now, when your not if, but when your words come true." What is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? And what's interesting is when he asks for his mission, he doesn't really give him the mission. He then responds by reminding him what the what the mom's supposed to do. I thought that was interesting. I mean, we're going to get it later, but not yet. Yeah, I mean, the mission will come later, but specifically – if you go back earlier than this, I think it's in verse 4, the mission was already identified uh, that he will save. Uh, let me look at it. Um, oh, sure, but I'm just yeah. talking about Manoah himself is asking the question, what is his mission? Cor so whether it's been Correct. already identified, he's asking the angel right now, what is his mission? And he goes, of everything that I said to the woman, let her be careful, and then he reiterates sort of the Nazarite um, vow. Vow. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's important, the mission that was given to the woman ought to be the mission that was given to him as well. And now he is to make sure that his wife is never tempted in that way so that she will be drinking or having something. So now he also has that responsibility to help her to carry that task. Sure. Well, uh, Manoah seems satisfied with the answer because in the verses that follow, he continues. We're going to read verses 15 through 20. Manoah said to the angel of Yahweh, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of Yahweh said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will not eat of your food. 
But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to Yahweh. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of Yahweh. And Manoah said to the angel of Yahweh, What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of Yahweh said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to Yahweh, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of Yahweh went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. So interesting, when the angel says, I am, that didn't seem to strike Manoah at all about being um, connected to the great I am. Uh, we see here then later, he still doesn't know that it's the angel of Yahweh, of course, until this amazing uh, burnt offering happens. And wow, I just couldn't imagine standing there and watching this visitor, certainly a unique man in their understanding, but now it was confirmed among them that he was God. Indeed, um, I was reminisced of Genesis 32, where Jacob is wrestling with this man, and he says, what's your name? The same thing was asked, right? And interestingly enough, when the angel responded in 18, he says, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? And where do we get that except in the prophet Isaiah, chapter um, I believe it's chapter 9 where he says, my yep, deacons right. And so we have the word wonderful speaking of God. He does not tell him his name, but he knows who is ultimately because they fell on their faces to the ground, an act of humility, an act of worship. And it is just astounding to me. I try to see myself in Manoah's uh, shoes, so to speak, if I could, what would my feelings be? And everywhere that we have seen angels show up, which I said earlier in the beginning, uh, every time angels uh, are appearing, everybody's frightened. Mary was frightened. Joseph was frightened. Uh, the women at the tomb were frightened. Others were frightened. And what does the first thing that comes out of the lips of Malach Yahweh? Fear not, right? Or the angels. And the same things, Jesus, when he appears in John chapter 20 to the disciples behind closed doors, what does he say to them? Fear not, right? So uh, we as humans cannot obtain the majesty and the glory of God. We have no concept of what that is. And when we see the glory of God is beyond our wildest imagination. To see something so wonderful, um, just, just astounding. I just recently shared with one of the saints at Trinity. I said, you know, I've been been a pastor for almost 30 years, privileged to share God's good news with many people. I have spoken about heaven, but I have no concept what that's going to be like, because I don't know anything different than this sin-polluted world where everything dies. Leaves die, you see them on the ground. Birds are on the road, deer are on the road, raccoon are on the road, foxes on the road. 
all of that, our limbs hurt, our eyes need glasses, our ears need hearing aids. We need a cane, uh, what I call on the third leg, to walk with. Some need a walker or a wheelchair. I don't know what that is going to be like. It's the same things with Manoah. He does not know. He's standing before God on holy ground, and ultimately they fall down in fear and trepidation and worship the Lord. And so to to see the um, something so beautiful that he goes up right with the flame, right, uh, as they were giving the offering of the goat and the offering that they were given. And that reminds me of the prophet Elijah when he would come on the scene. And how did he depart in the flame, in the wings of the flame taken up to heaven? And uh, it is similar, again, how, how the connectedness between all of these portions of Scripture together. We talked about Jacob. We talked about Elijah. We talked about how he went up in the, to the heaven, and he's going to come back again. And reminiscing of also of the prophet Isaiah. And it just shows to you and to me and to all of the saints who are listening to us today the beauty of the Scripture and how identify who this God is. And one other note, remember when Moses asked to see God, and we know that God said to him, you cannot see me and live. He would have been tossed also. He says, I will hide you in the cliff of the rock, and you will see my back, because the glory of God is so awesome, so amazing, it's hard for us to conceive it and survive it. Well, that's certainly Manoah's thoughts, because as we finish the text, verses 21 through 25, he says as much. Um, but then his wife, well, it seems like she's a little more discerning than her husband. Uh, let's hear it now. The angel of Yahweh appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew he was the angel of Yahweh. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if Yahweh had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and Yahweh blessed him. And the spirit of Yahweh began to stir him in Manadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. So, yeah, he basically is worried uh, you know, he, they're, they're, now we're going to die, and uh, she, she seems to be a little bit more discerning. She says, well, why would, why would he appear to us if it was just to kill us? But rather, we've offered this offering. He's accepted our offering, and it's left unstated, but obviously he's given them a mission to raise this young man. Um, I just think that's an interesting, I won't call it anxiety, but an interesting disposition from Manoah, uh, fearful that, the, the, that now he'll die because he's seen the Lord. And that's pretty much every single person who has ever witnessed God's uh, in-person had the same idea, he's going to die. The same things with Isaiah, right? You're going to die. And like you said, um, his wife was the one who said, come on, Habibi, or excuse, excuse me, that's Arabic, my beloved, um, come on. If he wanted to kill us, he wouldn't have come to do this to us. He would not have seen God. 
And so um, he could have done that a long time ago, but he did not do that. And so uh, the woman gives him comfort. She has the eyes of faith more than Manoah. Now, you said he wasn't anxious. I think he was anxious in this context. Now, I'm not going against you here. Please understand this. But his anxiety is higher now than it was before. Sure. Earlier, he was sure. trying to discern. Now he knows what happened when a human sees the divine. And he is terrified. We are toast, he said. But the wife says, no, hon, that's not accurate. <laughs> That's not true. Why would he want to do that and have come to tell us all of these things? He came with the mission of God's good news. We are going to have a baby. This baby is going to be a special child for God. God has set him for a reason. So Manoah, be not anxious. The Lord is doing something wonderful in our lives, and then we are told in that period of time, and the woman bore a son and called his name Shim Shon, Samson in English, and the young man grew. Please pay attention to the next words uh, that has uh, spoken here, okay? And Hanar Vivarechu Yahweh. And this young boy or this young man, it can be up to 17 at this uh, word, maybe a little bit older, and the Lord blessed him. There's a specific grace poured upon this young man. The blessings of God is sprinkled on this young man so that he will be able to carry the mission and notice verse 25, please, carefully. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Now, of course, we have the locality here, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit that, the, notice the Hebrew, in the English, actually, that the Spirit is capitalized. The Spirit of the Lord, it's the same thing that we have in Genesis 1, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is hovering above the water. The Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. That is to nudge him, to motivate him, to remind him, hey, this is your mission. The time is at hand. Prepare yourself for the task that God has set you apart. As a Nazarite, Nazir, Right? And so he is to prepare himself to be the sunny boy who brings sunshine upon the lives of those who have been burdened for 40 years with the enemy, the Philistines, who came to destroy and to kill. And if you read the book of Judges extremely well, all the people did everything as they saw fit in their own ways. But here, both Manoah and his wife, the Isha, are set apart to do something unlike all others, to do what God commanded them, and so is Samson. He has been gifted for a reason, with a mission, with the strength of God, with the Spirit of God, to go by his authority and to save the Israelite from the enemy. 
just an amazing introduction to Samson, one that it's going to be tough for him to live up to, but believe it or not, he does, right? Because the the way God uses him in the next chapters are really astounding, which is one of the reasons why if you ask someone to mention a character, so to speak, from Judges, a lot of times they're going to mention Samson because he does some mighty things. But as you've made it very clear, Pastor, you know, this, he is a imperfect rescuer, an imperfect savior, pointing forward to, of course, the perfect savior in Jesus. He is a, he's a sinner, so he's going to sin, and we're going to see that shine through. But what, what an amazing parallel, though, to the angel appearing, announcing that a special child that's going to be set apart is going to be born, and then, of course, the acceptance of the parents here. Uh, I, I, there's so many parallels to Jesus, it's, it's almost too easy, right, brother? Correct. Let me read a couple of things for you here. Samson is sunny boy, but the bright hopes attached to Shimshon or Samson were often eclipsed by his lunatic addiction to skirt chasing. And there's a poem here, which I like to share. Samson was a weak, strong man. A weak, strong man was he. Just one hot-bodied damsel could squash him like a flea. Um, which is true ultimately, and why wow, is that? you're right. That's that's great. It is, and here's the thing: never put your hope in man or in princess. Never put your hopes in man or princess. And this is why I talked about the the true uh, Shimshon, the son of righteousness. The Messiah, who will rise with healing in his wings, he will shine with mercy and grace. He is truly the sunny boy that will come to take away our sins and save us, not from the Philistines, not from the Romans, not from anyone else, but primarily and solely from Satan, sin, and death. And that's why we say, O Lord God, our sun and shield, bestow favor and honor upon us. This is from Psalm 84. And so we want to look for the sunshine, the S-O-N, who gives us hope and peace and joy and removes all of our anxieties from us and gives us his grace so that we may know him, that he is truly the one who comes to save Samson is a type. Jesus is the real thing. And we just celebrated the victory of that wonderful salvation he has earned for us. And so we rejoice and we give thanks to the Lord our God for bringing his son with the greatest mission of saving man and the world through his crimson blood on Calvary's cross and rising from the dead, from the dead, and he says to you and to me, fear not, you are my beloved. Amen, brother. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Nabil Noor, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota, and fourth vice president of the LCMS. It's always fun, and I always learn something when you're on the show. Thanks, pastor, for being on. Thank you, and God's richest blessings upon you. And remember, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Folks, the narrative around Samson continues on Monday. You'll not want to miss it. Samson eyes a beautiful Philistine girl, and he asks his parents to arrange a marriage to her. 
They disapprove, but proceed with caution. He also demonstrates his holy strength a couple of times, and then he, uh, well, poses a riddle to his Philistinian guests. And when they cannot answer, well, things go south real quick. It results in the death of 30 men, and Samson's new wife is given to another. So until next time, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.